All right. Um, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone joining me uh, from all over the place. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I need to be able to see some people who are joining. So if you, if you can get me that device. Yeah. If you log on and uh, let me have that. So I, I, I welcome everyone specially to uh, this great time. And um, I'm sure we're going to have a great time together uh, this evening. I believe that uh, God ordered your steps to be a part of this webinar because of the great things that he wants to do in your life this year. I'm just uh, going to give one or two minutes for uh, a couple more people to join and sign in. Um, you're welcome from all around the world, wherever you may be. where you may be joining us from. I welcome you to the ministry uh, leadership webinar. God has given us great words in 2020 and for this new decade, we know he's doing good and mighty things in our lives and in our ministries. And uh, I'm just going to attempt this evening to uh, help you to see how to position uh, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally for what God is about to do in your life and in your ministry. All right, so um, in about a minute, I'm just going to say a prayer, and um, we will start out the webinar. We will be live for about 75 minutes. Uh, so if you can take uh, distractions away and get ready to be blessed, uh, the next, um, so I'm going to be speaking for about, maybe about uh, 35, 40 minutes, about 40 minutes, and then we'll, I'll give opportunity for us to uh, bring in a few questions. I kind of promise that I will be able to take all the questions, but I will do my best to take as many as possible. Uh, okay, guys, uh, we're ready. Again, I want to welcome everyone to uh, the webinar. Uh, I believe that uh, we're going to have a great time together this evening and that you will be able to pick one or two principles that will help you to lead your ministry on the path of growth. Uh, this year and in this decade in Jesus' name. All right, let's say prayer as we start out. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be a blessing to pastors, ministry leaders, and leaders in general who have uh, joined this webinar from around the world and especially from the nation of Nigeria and other African countries and countries around the world. Lord, I ask that you pour out your grace over our discussion this evening cause the spirit of understanding and the spirit of grace to rest upon your sons and daughters who are joining me online right now. Lord, you gave us a word this year that you will make all things new, that you will bring us to the place of rest and that you will cause ministry to prosper in our hands. 
I pray for everyone watching and listening to me tonight that these words will find fulfillment in their lives. So we command a free flow of the spirit of wisdom and we ask for the supply of your spirit. We hold bound everything that is contrary and every form of distraction and anything that can uh, take somebody's mind away from our discussion. Uh, let seeds be sown freely and let them bear fruits in our lives, in our families, and in our ministries in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, again, I want to welcome um, everyone to uh, the, the Ministry Mentoring Webinar. Uh, I'm going to just start out by reading because we're talking about uh, positioning uh, for growth, being inspired uh, to position for growth. So I'm going to start out by reading uh, from the book of Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6. Uh, that's where I want to start out from this evening. Like I said, I'm going to share uh, for some minutes, and then we, uh, I will be able to take questions. I will try to limit my sharing uh, maybe to the next uh, between 30 to 40 minutes, and then we will start to take questions. Um, I'll read from the New Living Translation, Acts chapter 6 from verse 1. The Bible says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers and said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. We'll give them this responsibility. Then uh, we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone like this idea, and they chose the following people. And the Bible went on to mention the name of Stephen, uh, Philip, uh, Procross, Nicanon, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an early convert from uh, the Jewish faith. Uh, the Bible says in verse 6 these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on, on them. So the message continued to spread, the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many Jewish priests were converted too. Praise God. Uh, in Acts of the Apostles chapter 6 here, we, we, we saw um, tremendous growth in the early church. And before the tremendous growth, there was, uh, uh, there was a, a bit of growth and the growth came with attendant challenges that made the, the, the apostles to rethink how they're doing what they're doing. Um, when we get complaints about what's happening in our ministries, uh, the complaints may even be coming from us ourselves, asking ourselves the question, what can I do to bring more growth? Or how can I be sure that what is in my hand is growing? Am I sure I'm leading well? Am I sure of everything I've set out to do in this year, 2020, that it will bring results, you know, and all that? Those are the kind of questions that we ask sometimes. And I'm going to deal with five things today. I'll, I'll draw a bit from Acts chapter 6 here and a few other scriptures 
as I deal with uh, five things that I believe that everyone that will position for growth, that will position for progress as we go into 2020, as a minister and as a leader, uh, should focus on if you want things to happen to you the way God wants them to happen to you. Um, uh, the, the, the first thing that I will want to speak to, and like I said, I will refer back to Acts 6 from time to time, and I have a few other scriptures here that I want to point our attention to. Uh, the first thing I want to point out tonight is that if you want to remain on the path of growth, on the path of increase, on the path, uh, that, on the path of progress that God has here marked for you and your ministry, you need uh, to create um, hunger or to, to, to trust God for more. Many ministers, many leaders settle so quickly. In the scripture that we read, in the scripture that we read, um, there, are, there are two, I mean, there's the, a the situation there that I want us to look into. That the, they were experiencing growth, but at the same time, there was uh, growth pains or complaints uh, sometimes um, the issue you have is, um, is uh, space or parking, or some people feel that some people are not treating them well within the church, or we're growing so fast, but we don't have enough money to be able to create this or buy better equipment to sort this out. In every organization, every ministry will come to a point where there are attendant issues that will come either from lack of growth or from growing. Wherever you may be right now, what I'm saying this evening is relevant to you. Whether you are experiencing growth, I mean serious growth, or you are experiencing lack of growth. Uh, lack of growth can kill the hunger, the, 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 the aspiration for more. Too much of growth can lead to complacency, or consistent growth can lead to complacency, where we think we don't have to do anything again, we just put everything on autopilot and we just go. Somebody came into 2020 now thinking, well, we, we did well last year, we're growing, so we don't, we don't have to do so much again. So what happens is that there will be complacency. Yeah, there will be complacency. Uh, Matthew 5 and verse 6 says, uh, um, uh, it's a blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. Uh, when we are hungry for more of God, when we are thirsty, for more of God in the things that God has placed into our hands, God is the one that comes out to fill us. Isaiah 55, when you read from verse 1, uh, he, he said, come, come uh, and buy without money. Uh, when you buy without money, he said, oh, you that test, come. That means what you are buying with, the currency is, is, is hunger and thirst. That's what you exchange for getting something new from God. And John chapter 7 and verse 37 uh, Jesus said, uh, the Bible says in the last day, the great day of the feast, uh, uh, Jesus cried out and said, let everyone that thirst come to me. Yeah, let everyone that thirst come to me. And he, 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 he said, come, come and drink. And he said, uh, uh, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Uh, the big question I'm asking somebody here this evening is, are you still hungry? Are you still thirsty for growth, for progress? for improvement in all that you are doing, can you see that there's still more with God? 
uh, than what you are experiencing right now? That's the big question I'm asking somebody. Have you settled down? Have you settled with, you know, just not enough um, results? Have you settled with just 50 people and wondering, maybe we'll just do a little more this year? What is a little more? Have you been able to define it? And why do you want a little more? Why not take a, a giant stride? Why not quantum leaps this year? That will be born out of the level of hunger that you have, the level of hunger. And if you're a kind of person that's, you know, slipped into complacency, I'm speaking to your soul and your spirit tonight. Uh, um, just like the psalmist says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? He said, put your hope in God. So we, we need to get to that point where we, we, we start to, to aspire again. And even when you're experiencing massive growth, progress, you need to know that there's more. So we need to ask questions like, um, why were we successful last year? What are the major indicators to the success of last year? We need to be able to listen to, uh, just like they did in Acts chapter 6, the complaints that have come. Yeah, the complaints that have come. In our own church, personally, right now, we're having complaints about parking space, ease of ingress and egress from our services. It's, it's something that we, we are sitting down right now. Uh, we won't say because people are coming, we won't, we won't do anything about that. that. That is complacency. And when you slip into complacency, uh, you, you, you have what we, you, you know, what we call outcome bias. And you need to overcome outcome bias. What do I mean by outcome bias? You look at what is working and you just feel like everything is okay. It's like a football team that has been winning in the league. You're just winning, winning, winning. Uh, you just see that we're winning. You don't even know maybe the factor for our winning is just one striker. And if that striker should be injured, we may go to the bottom of the, of, of the league table. Yeah, so that's, that's why we need to ask the question, why, uh, why were we successful last year? We were successful last year. If things were slow last year, why were things slow last year? What are the things? How do we, uh, can we attempt to separate luck from skill? Yeah. Uh, sometimes some things just happen. One or two things just happen. Um, the Holy Spirit helped us and one thing, uh, something happened. Um, uh, maybe we, we, we had to go into some capital acquisition and somebody just came and blessed us. But we need to put the church on a sustainable path. So we need to separate a one-time happening, uh, one leader who is just very gifted in the department and that it brought some life into our church and all that. What about if the person had work transferred, the person had to go? How can we put this thing on a path that is sustainable? That's what I'm talking about. So that's how we overcome outcome bias. Let the outcome, whether good or bad, not be the main bias. But let's ask the question, why were we successful? Why, why were things going down? Or, you know, how do we, because when we do that, it helps us to separate our responsibilities from our divine, I mean, from our divine providence. This is what I need to do. This is what God is doing. Yeah. The apostles in Acts chapter 6, they were experiencing growth. But they knew that 
if they did not make that appropriate response, and I'm going to get there in a bit, if they do not make that appropriate response, give that appropriate response to what was going on there, the growth may start to come down. Because those people complaining will get to a point, it becomes unbearable. They find reasons why they will not show up in fellowship. But thank God that they, they didn't just say, uh, don't worry, nothing is going on. They responded. The appropriate response is, look, we will maintain our focus on more strategic things. It's time for us to get more people to do some of the things that we were doing before. Uh, so, uh, it's time to say to ourselves, especially when you have been experiencing growth, if it's not broken, you can break it. Yeah. You don't have to wait until something goes bad before you rethink your processes, rethink what you are doing. Uh, God is a God of new beginnings, and he doesn't want us to wait until there's a, there are critical failures before we rethink how we do what we do in business, in the business world, they say that you can create the disruption or became, become the disruption rather than waiting for somebody to come and disrupt your industry or disrupt what you do. Uh, so that's what I'm speaking to. People in business will understand. I mean, by vocational pastors listening to me will understand what I'm, I'm saying very well. Uh, if you are in a particular industry and some, something is about to change, why don't you be the one to make the change rather than allow the change to happen to you? And that's what I'm saying today. All of us pastors listen to me. Well, can you think through and trust God this year uh, that you won't wait until there's attendance decline before you start to ask these questions? Or you can ask right now, what disruption can we create as a church? What can we do differently? What can we do new? Have we set a goal based on the hunger that we have in our spirit for God this year? Go for number of souls we want to win, number of people we want to bring to church, how uh, number of people want to disciple, you know, and all that. We need to set those goals and make them aspirational uh, based on the power of the Holy Spirit that is at our disposal, not because uh, we can do uh, all things by ourselves. Secondly, is for everyone uh, wanting to position well for growth and increase in 2020 and beyond, I also want you to gain the level of your inspiration. And the big question is, are you still inspired? And how do you stay inspired? A leader is the one who can, uh, uh, how do I put it now? A leader, a good leader, is, stays inspired. And from his own inspiration, people around him, the followers derive inspiration. So are you staying inspired? That's the, 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 another question I want to ask, and that's the second point I'm making. You know, I said I, I'm going to talk about five things. Uh, and one is, is overcoming complacency and staying hungry and thirsty for more. Second one is, am I still inspired? Uh, Job 32 and verse 8 says, there's a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty gives him understanding. Where do you get your inspiration from? What are your sources of inspiration? What are your sources of inspiration? I mean, today people get inspired by their mentors. Some people get inspired by music. Some people get inspired, you know, uh, by reading autobiography. I was, I was having a discussion with our pastors um, here at the Elevation Church on Tuesday, and I was asking them how they get inspiration. And some people gave all kinds of instances. Some people said, I read biographies. 
or when I read the Bible, when I listen to certain kind of songs, um, when I, somebody said, when I pray in the Holy Ghost, I get inspired. Uh, you know, all kinds of things that people say. Somebody, when I read certain kind of books, I get inspired. Now, as a leader, I need to know where I get my inspiration from. Don't just say the Holy Spirit inspires me. How? Is it when you listen to music like Isaiah, I mean, like the prophet in the Old Testament who says, bring me the mistress. And it's as this, uh, the mistress started to pray, uh, play, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit started to inspire him and he, 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 you know, he, he spoke the mind of God. You know, so uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit or be being filled with the Spirit. I need to ask myself, how do I position for continuous infilling of the Holy Spirit so that I can be consistently inspired? In Joel chapter 2, it says, in the last days, uh, there shall be an outpouring of the Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. To prophesy means to give divinely granted utterance or to be inspired to speak the mind of God. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is to give us consistent inspiration to speak the mind of God so that nothing is dry around us. In the presence of God, it rains every day. When I spend time in his presence, I, that rubs off on me. But I need to ask the question, how do I stay inspired? How do I stay inspired? For the sake of being inspired this year, somebody needs to make up your mind to engage the peace of God in your home if you're married more. Because lack of peace with your spouse will drain your inspiration. Yeah, it will drain a bit of your inspiration. Uh, uh, not keeping good relationship, vital relationships in, in your life like relationship, you know, with people that are important to you, your parents, your siblings, you know, some of those things have a way of draining our, our inspiration. Some of the vital people in your leadership who are either working with you or following you, when you refuse to keep the right kind of relationship with them, it, uh, it can drain your inspiration for the call of God on your life. So um, it's important that you stay inspired and make the sources, identify the sources of your inspiration, uh, make it consistent, and keep it pure. Uh, some people get inspired, but from the wrong places. Uh, that kind of, I mean, I do expect anyway that uh, a minister will read the wrong book to get inspired or listen to the wrong kind of music to get inspired. But the truth is that some people get inspired uh, from uh, the, 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 the wrong, I mean, with the wrong things. Uh, uh, the things that motivate us in life and Jesus admonished us to keep our motivation, our motive, pure. Um, uh, our motivation for ministry is not money and it's not popularity. And we must keep our motive pure and keep our source of inspiration pure. But whatever you do, stay inspired. Pure inspiration that comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, a last admonition on the subject of inspiration is that to stay inspired you need to humble yourself. The Bible says the meek will show knowledge. You need to humble yourself. Part of humility is to continue to learn, unlearn, and relearn. You know that quote from Alvin Toffler that said that the illiterate of the future will not be those who can't read or write. The illiterate of the future will be those who can't learn unlearn and relearn. And you know, this man said this in the 70s, so the future he was talking about is now. We're now in that future. Uh, to stay inspired, 
you need to give yourself to learning, unlearning, and relearning. The most difficult out of the three is unlearning. To be able to let go of the things that I'm used to or that I've been taught or things that I've worked in time past but have become obsolete. In Acts chapter 10, Peter had to unlearn how not to eat uh, things that are uh, unpure, <laughs> you know, in, 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 things that, uh, are, that have been, you know, uh, that, that, they, that in the Old Testament they said the Jewish people should not eat. But, you know, you know the story. In Acts chapter 10, before Corinthians then sent people to uh, the place, the Bible says that he saw a trance and a uh, four-footed beast coming down from heaven in a sheet. And he says, no, God, and God said, arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter was struggling on learning what he had learned, on learning certain traditions that are limiting or that will not allow one to enter into the full move of God for the current time. And God had to tell him, you know what? What I call clean, don't call unclean. So it's time for us to learn, but not just learn, unlearn and also relearn. So in, in, to increase your leadership quotient, you need to unlearn. Yeah. And deal with your insecurities. I'm, I'm having a fair share of that. Just asking myself from time to time, especially as we're coming into these years, are there things I still feel insecure about that can reduce the hand of God upon my life? So I, I need to let go of those things. I need to unlearn those things. Uh, sometimes some people are afraid of their own shadow. Um, you know, whether with the people around you uh, thinking that everybody is against you or struggling to trust people, trust in your marriage, trust your associate, trust church leaders and stuff like that. Um, those are things that we need to deal with so that we can uh, uh, position very well in the things that God wants to do in our life. And on you know, the subject of inspiration, the last thing I'll put to it is have a personal growth plan. Sometimes when you have a personal growth plan that you are pursuing, it helps you to stay inspired. Yeah. It helps you to, to stay inspired. Uh, uh, to say, look, uh, I, I need to read this number of books. I, I want to do this course online. I want to attend this number of conferences this year that will add value to me. Uh, as we prepare for Exponential 2020, uh, which is from the 24th to 25th uh, to 26th of February, I want to believe that if you're on this uh, webinar platform this evening, you have registered or, you know, for Exponential. But if you're yet to register, um, in fact, I have, I, have, I have good news for you. Uh, at the end of this webinar, just stay with me. Um, I'm going to announce something that I believe uh, may also encourage you uh, to, to, to register. Uh, but you need to have a personal growth plan as to how you want to grow and develop yourself this year and follow through. Because as you improve in your learning, you will increase your inspiration. Number three is, um, uh, I call this resources and, um, and, and structure. Yeah. Resources and structure. And there I mean human resource. Human resource human resource. Don't forget we're talking about positioning for growth and progress in 2020 and beyond. And uh, as ministers and church leaders, we need to put some things at the fore of our mind. And uh, how do we generate the human resource that is necessary? In Acts chapter 6 that we read at the, at the starting, we saw that when uh, it seemed like there was complaining in the early church, they were experiencing a bit of growth, 
But God wanted to scale that growth to the next level. And one of the things he did was uh, to cause uh, certain feedback uh, that they need to pay attention to. And to the glory of God, they were able to humble themselves enough to say, look, we're going to listen to this feedback. And the next thing that showed up there was that they realized that they needed more human resource to move that work to the next level. So it's time to mobilize for more volunteers. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37, Jesus said, uh, the, the harvest is indeed plentiful, but the laborers are few. If we don't want growth to stagnate, we have to keep our eyes on um, how we mobilize for human resource and how we structure to work, uh, structure our organization or the church to accommodate uh, the new level of human resource that is needful. So uh, for a church, you need to uh, pay attention to uh, uh, mobilizing for volunteers. Uh, sometimes we need to ask ourselves the, 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 the question that, uh, is it time to hire new hands? And I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about, um, uh, uh, about um, how do I put it now? I'm not just talking about volunteers. I'm talking about uh, hiring. The moment a church is growing above 100 into 200, for you to break the next growth barrier, which will be about three to 400, you need to consider having people on staff. One or two who will be able to handle things, or, or, I mean, that they are committed and paid, even if it's uh, just a, a token that we pay them, but we can secure their commitment to get certain things done. And side by side, we also recruit more volunteers. So we should ask the question right now, should we hire more hands? Should we recruit uh, uh, for more volunteers? Is our current structure strong enough to carry our anticipated growth or progress? Um, the moment we start to think of hiring more hand, hire or recruiting more volunteers, we need to then say, look, what kind of structure will undergird this? That's what we saw in Acts chapter 6. The God complains. They wanted to take the growth to the next level. They didn't want the growth to stop. They now say, wow, we need more volunteer hands here. Look out from among you seven men who can do what we are doing right now so that the, 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 the 12 of us can focus on other things. How do we get other things, more important things, or more strategic things? And what can be more strategic than prayer and the ministry of the world when it comes to ministry? I mean, in business organizations, the executives focus on more strategic things, uh, uh, visioning and all that, and organizational uh, 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 development and all, whilst the job of uh, marketing, sales, you know, and uh, creating products and services they, they leave that for other people. It's the same thing in ministry. If we want to stay on the path of consistent growth, apart from dealing with complacency, staying inspired, we need people. Don't forget, at the starting of the ministry of Jesus, even when there was nothing, the first thing he did was to go on, on the Sea of Galilee and recruit people and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I have the privilege now of um, 
you know, pastoring from uh, uh, a main church in Lekki where we have, you know, thousands of people on Sunday morning. But I still walk through that congregation and see challenge people to join the workforce. I still did that last week. I still did it two weeks ago where I'll ask people, I'm just missing somebody for the first time. How long have you been here? Uh, do you do anything in this church? And I'm smiling as I'm talking to them. Do you do anything in this church? And somebody's smiling and saying, no. And you've been here for six months or one year. Ah, no, 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 no. It's time for you to do something. So tell me, do you have passion for something? Or, you know, or what did you do in the church you attended before you didn't give your life to Christ here? And before you know it, I'm calling the pastor, connecting them to a pastor. I mean, this January, we've had to run. Uh, uh, tomorrow, we make the third membership class that we have run this year just to be able to get enough people, you know, to come in through our assimilation process. The gateway into our assimilation process is a membership class. And for the last three weeks or so, we've been running the membership class, which is supposed to be just one Saturday for us, but we've been opening the door, you know, hundreds of people coming in through that door into membership. And, and it's because we know that if we will position for the growth that God is bringing, we need to bring more people into the committed uh, space in our church, who will then be able to help and support with ministry. At the same time, on the, the church administration side, we also have, if you have followed us on social media, you see that we've been advertising that we're hiring. This is now paid staff. And then we are also doing serious recruitment for volunteers, unpaid volunteers, which we call church workers. Yeah. And then on the other hand, staff. So you, you need to think through that, the human resources that you need and the structure. As I'm speaking to you also, we're working on a new structure for our church, uh, just tweaking here and there our structure so that as we expand our structure, we see the places where we need more people to come in. Your own structure may be simpler right now, a simpler structure, and, but you need to look at it again. Uh, should we move somebody from evangelism to, uh, to, uh, you know, to pastoral care? Who probably has a better flair for pastoral care? Can we restructure a bit? Can I move a, a pastor from here to there? Can the leader of this unit change? Can we swap them? Can we? Those are all the things that you need to think of because uh, anything that is just left to itself will sink into apathy. People... Uh, don't have the opportunity to rethink what they do. Uh, they're running on autopilot. And before you know it, growth may stagnate. And if we want to keep ourselves on the path of growth, we need to always think of um, how to, uh, you know, just move things around here and there to stay on the path of growth. Uh, lastly, on the third point of uh, resource and structure, I also want you to pay attention to uh, three important things. That's assimilation, discipleship, and training system. For you to keep the liberals flowing in and maintain a good structure within your church, you need to ask yourself, how are we assimilating people who, just, who are just coming in? Uh, what's the plan to disciple them? Is there a system to disciple them? And when they are being discipled, we need to train them uh, to join the workforce. And that's where the training system comes in. At, uh, at the Exponential Conference this year, I believe we will speak uh, a little bit more uh, to that, uh, to, to uh, leadership development and other uh, things like that at, at, at the conference this year. And that's why you should register and be a part of it. Um, number four is that 
you need to create space. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my teaching time is running out so fast. So uh, uh, I'll, I'll just rush to my last two. Uh, to stay on the path of growth, you need to create space. You need to create space. And I will say something funny. The space creation starts in the mind of the pastor or the leader. You need to create space in your mind uh, for, for more of God and to incubate the thoughts of growth and expansion. And then in the physical realm, you also need to create that space for people that God wants to bring in. In 2 Kings chapter 4, when you read verse 3, uh, when the widow uh, uh, was with uh, uh, Elisha, uh, and uh, you know, the widow was in trouble and all that, you know what Elisha told the widow? He said, go borrow vessels. And borrow not a few. Because it's the space that will create that God feels. That's what God do. That's how it happens. So create space. Um, uh, if where you are right now is already uh, maybe filling up, you may need a bigger space. Creating space helps us to scale. Yeah. It gives us the opportunity to scale, to, to, to uh, you know, when we create room, God feels it. That has been our own experience. So you, you, you need to deliberate about how you create space. Space tells your people that there's more that God can do here. So sometimes creating space may mean, are you going to consider another location? There are intricacies to that. For you to consider another location, like what we call another expression of campus or, or parish, you need to develop leaders to be able to do that successfully. But the other option is, can we consider multiple services? Yeah where uh, maybe you are running one service right now, the moment you break into two services, you have already created space for God to feel. Yeah. Straight up, you have created space for God to feel. So uh, you need to ask yourself the question, uh, are we considering a new location or are we breaking into uh, multiple services? When is the right time to take these kind of decisions? Uh, the right time is when your current uh, space has been utilized uh, to 80% and above. You need to then not wait until the place is completely filled out. Because the moment a, 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 a place is used up above 70%, going to 80%, people start to feel like they do need more people here. The place is already packed, uh, everybody's comfortable, and everybody's comfortable. Maybe we're not even up to 100. Yeah, but our space can only take 120 or 130. It's time for us to start to consider how do we create more space? Should we start the second service? Should we get a bigger space? Uh, And whatever God is putting in your heart, then you then need to follow it. The most important thing is uh, when we create space, God feels it, human beings respond to it. Um, You know, there's there's something we call sociological strangulation uh, as one of the things that retard church growth. It's big grammar, but it simply means that people respond to what they see. Yeah. So the moment a place is, uh, is like 70 to 80% full, people start to feel like they don't need more people here. And that is a, is a psychological or sociological thing. It's just a belief system. It's called sociological strangulation. If you just believe that, you know, this place is, is okay and all that, 
some church members may even stop inviting people to church. You know, people who come may feel like, oh, it's a, the place is filled up. So, you know, so we need to respond to that by creating space this year. Uh, breaking a new service, getting a bigger place. Uh, have you maxed out your, your space? Is the best solution to get a new place or to break a new service or go to another location while you still retain the current location if you have enough leaders and uh, uh, the system to power that. And lastly, this evening, staying on the path of growth is, uh, I'll just put this uh, straightforward, bring in the crowd. If you want to stay on the path of growth this year, you have always need to think of how do we increase uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the full step into the church. How, do we, how are we bringing in the crowd? What is your crowd pulling strategy? Yeah. What is your crowd pulling strategy? That's what I'm talking about. Somebody may be asking me, so I need to have a crowd pulling strategy? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. When we have attractional events, that's one way that happens. Attractional events, which we call bridge events. In, and I recommend that when you want to have attractional events or bridge events, make it in the area of your calling or gifting or strength, or sometimes in the area of the need that you have seen in your community or in the area of strength for you as a minister or for your church. Uh, so how do we bring in people? Sometimes you have an aggregation of gifting in your church, maybe people who know how to do something, and you are saying, look, uh, can we reach out to our community? We know that there's a need in that community, and people in this church can meet the need, maybe in practically training them or something. Or sometimes it's based on the gift or the area of calling or strength of the pastor. A pastor can be uh, somebody who has a gift of intercession and know how to pray. Uh, you know, or healing evangelist, let's leverage that to bring the sick in. And we reach out to them. Some of them will stay in the church. Uh, a pastor can have a teaching gift uh, to teach powerfully and people, you know, uh, love to listen to a good teacher. So why don't we organize seminars, you know, teach on particular topics, bring people in and then invite them into our Sunday services. We, uh, uh, for everyone that God used in the scriptures, he used them based on what they have, not what they don't have. So when you see a David who brought down Goliath, he didn't need any of that in apart from the sling that he had on his neck and five smooth stones that he picked up. So it's as simple as that. God used Moses. Yeah, it's not what he didn't have. It was what he had, the rod in his hand. Moses had always had this rod. So what's the, your, the rod in your hand? What's the sling on your neck as a pastor, as a church leader? That's still what God will use. That's what he will use. If you're a great teacher, a great evangelist, a healing evangelist, um, a man who has a gift of prophecy and all that, God wants to use all those things. And we need to maximize it, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to breathe on it, and then uh, create uh, um, events and um, activities that will bring glory to the kingdom of God, but bring people in. So when people come, you know, like they came to Jesus, they started with come and see but they ended up with come and die. Because if you can, Jesus said, if you cannot take your cross and follow me, you have no part in me. Uh, Nathaniel, Philip, all of them, they just started with come and see. The woman at the well said, come and see the man who told me everything that I've ever done. That's where it starts from. The, the, the gift of the spirit was the attraction there. And the woman went all around the city saying, come and see the man who told me everything about me. And people came. 
you know. But from come and see, we disciple them, we assimilate them, we get them to become a stronger Christian who can then take responsibility for the kingdom of God. So, um, so uh, on the last note, I'll say be careful not to just copy what other churches or organizations are doing. What do you have? What has God given you? The danger with just copying what is working somewhere else, one, is that it may not work for you. Two, it may, be, uh, it may make you the caricature of uh, the original thing because the person that God gave the idea based on the uh, gift that God has given the person or the call of God upon that person will be able to maximize and do the thing better than the person that is just copying. So own you know, your, your stuff. I mean, sometimes we, we, we copy, we look at something that's working somewhere else. Uh, it's a case of if your bullet fits, fits my gun, I will shoot it. But not every bullet will fit your gun. You need to find a bullet that fits your gun. So if you want to copy, copyright. <laughs> yeah, don't copy in the area of your weakness. It will be too obvious to people. They will know this is not you. You can't have an event because the church is having that same event, but you don't have what it takes to, you know, to pull the event through. If, if for now, music is not your strong suit, don't say we want to have a concert to bring people to church. Because if you have that concert and it flops, people will be much more disappointed in your ministry than they should be inspired to come. Yeah, so that, that stay in the area of your strength, uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to discover the strength, the gift, the calling upon the mandate that God has given you and upon your life. And let God inspire you to create something around it that will make what you are doing attractional, that will make it meet a need in the heart of the people that God has sent you to in your locality. And before you know it, you see uh, that you get more response, especially as you advertise and connect with people better, you get more response. And it's out of the response that you get that some people will stay. So uh, 10 newcomers today, 20 newcomers tomorrow, a good church will retain uh, between uh, 20 to 30% of the number of people that visited for the first time. And when you aggregate that over a period of time, you just realize that your average attendance is going up. It's one of the ways by which we break growth barriers, especially when we reach critical growth barriers. And if you're listening to me right now, you're watching me right now, and you're at a critical growth barrier, you need to then think through all the five points that I've, I've given to you today and uh, walk through it so that the Holy Spirit can inspire you uh, to use them appropriately, to align yourself with them, and you get great results this year and this decade in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So I've come to the end of my own uh, talk. Um, it's time for us to take some uh, questions, and then I will uh, lead us in prayer as we bring the, the webinar to, uh, to a close. All right, so it's time to, to, to take your questions. I will ask that, uh, uh, yeah. Okay, so the, 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 the questions, okay. Uh, I'm still, still looking out in the chat, in the Q&A, okay. Uh, Q&A, okay. Oops.
I hope I'm doing something right. Okay. Okay, so I can see a question here. Someone says, uh, uh, thank you very much, sir. What structural plan could one follow in building uh, a lay believer to a leader? Any book recommendations? Uh, God bless you. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm seeing some questions. Somebody said I should do uh, a recap. I'm going to do that uh, uh, shortly. Um, said, how do you allow the members to believe in your vision? Okay. Uh, so how about if your hall isn't filled, but there is a longing to expand your space? Okay, let me just answer a few of the questions that we have um, already. Uh, the one that talks about the structure uh, to, to follow in building lay believers to a leader. Uh, you, you can follow a simple structure, which is just to say, look, what do people need to know to grow in their faith and to develop their leadership capacity? As simple as just asking the, the, the closest people to you, uh, they will tell you. And then you can also um, look at what is happening in established ministries that already have established training system. Uh, at the Elevation Church, we have what we call Tech High, which is the Elevation Church Institute, Tech High, uh, which is for our training people who want to come into our workforce. Uh, when I passed in Daystar, we had the Daystar Academy, which was a, a, a training system to, to raise um, uh, the, the people who work with us in ministry. So this, these are systems that you need to understudy in the different churches, but create something on your own, of your own. Uh, you can even adapt what is already going on in the church. You just tilt it towards the vision that God has given you. Uh, so some of these curriculums are available. I'm sure maybe um, uh, if you are familiar with this, for instance, at some point we made that available and what we have here at the Elevation Church too, uh, we can... Uh, make available to you, but my, my encouragement is that you don't just copy uh, because the mandate upon each ministry is different. There are one or two things that you need to adapt. Uh, some of your teachings that are foundational teachings for your own church, you need to make it into a curriculum. Uh, and how do I mean making it into a curriculum? Just create an outline out of it that puts it in such a way that anybody can teach it apart from you. And what are the kind of questions that should come? Anticipate them and write some of those answers down. And it's easy for, for you to then turn it to a class that people can attend. Um, all right. Uh, Sir, so how can I combine being a CEO and a full-time pastor? Um, combining being a CEO and a full-time pastor is not easy, but it's possible. Uh, it's about... Asking yourself the question, um, how much time do I have for CEO and how much time do I have for being a pastor? And compartmentalize your time, knowing that you wear, you wear two caps, the caps, cap of a CEO and the cap of a pastor. Uh, anyone who runs a business, who is bivocational, uh, will always find themselves in the situation that you have. Either there's, the person is still working or the person uh, runs a business. So, um, if you say Monday and Tuesday, I use it to do my business. 
and then maybe your midweek service is Wednesday, uh, Tuesday evening, I prepare for midweek service. Uh, I, but from Friday, I don't do business again. I want to focus on the church. I can, you can say your counseling day is Friday, and then Saturday, I prepare for Sunday, spend some time in prayer, preparing the word and all that. It's just how you juggle it, yeah, uh, in terms of everything that God has called us to do, we express it through usage of time. So you need to tell yourself, I need to manage my time well because I have two responsibilities. And then make sure that there's no conflict. What I do I mean conflict is that don't be CEO of something that a pastor should not be doing. <laughs> but I'm, I, I know that the person who wrote this question uh, is doing the kind of business that a pastor should be doing. And in that wise, uh, uh, structure that business very well and also put a good structure in place in church. So you know your responsibilities. They are clearly de defined. You are not torn here and there. You know, they, they are calling you, that service is about to start, or you are still in a meeting or your business or some clients are calling you during service. Yeah, your clients should know that you're also a pastor, you have a responsibility. So on so-and-so day, I won't pick calls during so-and-so time because I'll be in service or I will be in a church meeting or I'll be meeting with pastors so I won't pick calls. People know, and the people who work with you on your business also know that you have other responsibilities and they respect uh, those responsibilities enough to put some boundaries in place uh, so that there's no uh, conflict. All right. Um, uh, okay. How, how do you allow members to believe in your vision? Okay, that question. Uh, I, I think you need to learn to, first and foremost, capture your vision and communicate it well. People believe what they hear consistently. Yeah. At the Elevation Church, our vision, I mean, our, like our mission statement, which we repeat often is, uh, we're here to make greatness common. Right? It's making greatness common. Uh, we explain it from time to time. We take opportunity to explain it. We teach it. We explain it. We talk about it almost every Sunday. It's, uh, you know, it's our tagline. People know us for that. And then we use every opportunity that we have to explain what is greatness. And how can we say that greatness can become common? Everybody can be great. And so as we keep explaining it, people buy into it a bit more. There are people who join our church and say, I don't understand this vision. Everybody cannot be great. And by the time you open the Bible and teach it, yeah, every year in October during our anniversary, that month, I always teach a series on why we exist as a church. And it helps new people to also understand better. When you go to our membership class, uh, we have a segment of it that also teaches on the vision and the mission of the Elevation Church and our core values. All these things help people to buy into it. But apart from that, you as a pastor and as a church leader, you must be an embodiment of that vision. It's easy for people to, I mean, to believe in it, you know, like that. Jesus called people and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, as simple as that statement is, he used that opportunity in that statement to describe to them what the end product will be when they join to the vision that he has. When people hear the vision of your church, can they see themselves through it and see what the end product will be for them as they, you know, log in to be a part of what God has put in your life? Uh, okay, uh, let me take a, a few more. Uh, someone said, um, 
So how, how about if your, your hall isn't filled, but there's a longing to expand your space? If there's a longing to expand your space, so far it's not going to jeopardize the finances of the church or make some people disgruntled. I think you should go ahead because that longing may be born out of something that God is about to do and that you need to prepare for. So sometimes your space is not full. Oh, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, in, in 2010, when the Elevation Church started, uh, in October, three months later, in December of that year, the all that we were using could sit maybe between, maybe like 400 or so. As at the time, we, we were just like maybe 150 going to 200 people. And yet, January, February of 2011, I felt in my spirit that uh, the, this place is not the place that we're supposed to be. Apart from the fact that things were running down there at City Mall, at Unicorn, Lagos Island, uh, we're on the, uh, on the second floor of a building. This is the second or third floor. I can't really remember very well again. We needed either an elevator or escalator to get there. The escalator had broken down. The elevator is not working. The only elevator that was working in the building was a cargo elevator. That's what they used to move. And there was a restaurant at our floor. They used to move chicken, fish, and all that. If you enter the elevator, it's always smelling. You know, sometimes the um, uh, generator will shut down. I just felt like, look, this place doesn't, and then God started to put faith in my heart that, look, you can have your own space. Yeah. And that's how we moved to, to Lekki, uh, where we then lease a piece of land and uh, put up a structure uh, where we can, uh, to a very large extent, control the level of excellence uh, that we have around us. So sometimes God moves your heart and you just need to follow through. And then God confirms it by making the provision available. Uh, another question. Someone say, thank you, Pastor, for the great session. My question is, how do you retain the crowd. You retain the crowd through assimilation. You need to create an assimilation process. So I will encourage that you get my message on assimilation systems, uh, building systems and all that. Uh, assimilation and discipleship is how we retain the crowd. It starts from getting the details, uh, the data of the crowd, following up with them, um, creating a system for people to follow up with them, uh, uh, encouraging them to get into a membership class. That means you need to have a membership class, which is a place where you describe the church to them, where the pastors meet them, teach them a few things. Not everybody that will come in that crowd is a new believer. If they are new believers, then they need to get into a new believers class. And you have to encourage them. It's part of the assimilation process. If they are already believers, but they're just looking for a church, maybe they just moved to your neighborhood, then they need to be taken through or membership induction, where you just teach them about the vision of your own church and all that, and then train them to become part of your workforce. Uh, but if you uh, get my message on assimilation, you will be able to get much more than what I just said now. So can you give more examples of crowd pulling strategy? Uh, more examples of crowd pulling strategy. Uh, crowd pulling strategy is centered more around, like I said, what you have. It can be a program. It can be a service that you render to the community. It can be creative advertising that will bring people in. There's so many things that can, that can uh, generate a crowd-pulling strategy for you. Um, all I would say is that focus on what you have. Uh, there's no, nobody that's called into a ministry that does not have a peculiar bent to their own ministry. Uh, if you have a prayer ministry as a pastor, 
organize prayer meetings in the community. Um, and then you see people show up. Organize prayer meetings online. People will show up. And some of them um, who are looking for a church to belong to will be a part of what you are doing. You have the gift of healing. Mobilize your people. Visit hospitals. Then organize meetings, healing meetings. Let people show up. They get healed. Then they know uh, that the power of God is with you and the grace of God is upon your life. And they will uh, want to show up to be more uh, uh, to know more about what you are doing. But uh, I will also say that uh, sometimes God gives, you know, crowd pulling strategies that are specialized, but it's still around what you have always had in you. I mean, in the early days of, of Winners Chapel in Lagos, the Breakthrough Seminar was a point of contact to the city. It was a crowd pulling strategy. People went there. Uh, in the early days of Daystar, uh, it was, you know, success power or special events like a, a busy night, which is an outreach event, you know, that uh, a bridge event that brings people into the church. Here at the Elevation Church, we had what we call Enjoy, which is the night of comedy and music. A lot of young people came in with that and they stayed. Uh, we, we, we have uh, a program that we organized during Easter time, which is Taste of Our Tribes which is just a, a food event. People eat all kinds of food from all around Nigeria. A lot of people visit our church for the first time during that Easter Monday experience. Uh, we, 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 you know, we do a worship experience, music events, teaching, you know, conferences. All these things can be, especially if it's in the area of your strength, they can uh, uh, generate uh, a bit of more crowd coming in. Uh, having a special Sunday every month, which in most churches they call Family and Friends Sunday, is also a crowd pulling strategy. Because you are able to, people may not be able to invite people to church every Sunday. But if it's just that one Sunday a month, they concentrate their efforts on it. Maybe you even give them an invite, whether electronic or printed, that they can use to invite their friends. Uh, you just see that the number of guests that Sunday goes up. And when you then strive to follow through and retain a percentage of them, it adds to your uh, overall uh, weekly attendance. Um, okay, uh, let me take a few more. How do you build a church from the scratch? I mean, raising a launch team. Uh, raising a launch team uh, is about, it's just doing what Jesus did. <laughs> Go out there and look for people who are responsible. Share your vision with them. Tell them what God has told you. Uh, before you want to start a church, uh, you need to know that people need to know the kind of grace you carry. Except you are going to a virgin land. If you are going to a virgin land, I mean a place where they did not know you before. If it's a place where they already know you, there are people that your life has touched. They are the people that you start with. Jesus started his ministry in a place where they didn't know him for ministry before. So he had to go one-on-one. -on -one and speak to them, sell his vision to them, and touch their lives, and then they believed in him and followed him. But if you have been in a city before now, you've either pastored somewhere, or you've done some outreaches before, in fact, the best way is to start with little outreaches that um, um, will be in line with your area of calling, so that people recognize it, and over time, they buy into, into your calling. Um, Uh, somebody asked a question I was asking, uh, said you were, you were talking about breaking growth barriers earlier.
Can you expand on this? I will also say that you, need, you can get my message on breaking growth barriers. There's a series on it that you need to get. Uh, maybe when you come for exponential, you can just order online. Send an email to resources at elevationng.org. Resources at elevationng.org. Send an email to them or go on Twitter and check for tech resource and follow them and DM them. Uh, ask for this, they will get it across to you. Uh, they can also send it in downloadable format. Um, uh, thank you so much, sir. How do one grow a parachurch ministry? Uh, I think your question is a bit generic. I want to know what kind of parachurch ministry are you talking about? Is it an outreach ministry? Is it a um, uh, mission agency? Is it a prayer ministry? Is it a prophetic outreach or deliverance ministry? What, what kind of ministry are you talking about? Because it depends. There are general principles for growth. Out of the five things I shared today, uh, the first four are generic for growth. Creating space, you know, getting more human resource and having a good structure in place, all those things are necessary, even if it's a parachute ministry. You need to raise volunteers, you need to lead the volunteers well for them to keep following you to do the outreaches that you do. Uh, but when it, 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 when it comes to bringing in the crowd, Crowd may mean a different thing to you as a parachurch ministry. Uh, so that's, but every other thing that I've said will work for you uh, to be able to grow a parachurch ministry. Uh, somebody says, um, uh, my question is, how do I help a church that the former pastor has scattered and I was asked to go and rebuild? The first thing that you need to do if you're going to rebuild a church that has been rocked by, you know, uh, cantankerous exit is that you need to pray for the peace of God over that church and stand against uh, the, 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 the workings of the devil to scatter the sheep uh, and you know, pray very well, focus see it as a spiritual assignment then secondly is that you need to start to build trust with the people the Bible says that uh, uh, when the strength of the burden bearers decay there will, there, there, there will be much rubbish. That's in, uh, somewhere in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, they, 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 because of you know, all kinds of talk, different things that has gone on, uh, some people will have become rebellious. Their strength will have decayed. They don't want to you know, work in the church again or volunteer again. You need to, uh, you need to uh, know that you need to build trust with them. And please don't condemn the person that scattered the church. Just pray for the person. Yeah, don't preoccupy yourself with the people talking against the person or saying what the person did wrong. Just say, look, we're here to build the kingdom of God and all lands must be on deck and we just want to do the right thing and uh, uh, let the love of God prevail. Uh, uh, get people to the understanding of the fact that love forgives and love forgets and, you know, uh, uh, and love is the most important thing. So please focus on that and focus on how to build trust and then trust God uh, to help you to unleash your own gift in that place. When people see that you have a mandate of God in your life, you have a, a good heart, and you're focused on building trust, they will start to follow you, and you'll be able to galvanize their energy again. Um, all right? Somebody says, uh, thank you, sir. How do you advise starting a teens church in a uh, 150 to 200 member capacity uh, I think the first thing is for you to, first of all, identify the number of teenagers that you have. 
let, let them and their parents know that you now want to be able to take them uh, separately and have a teens ministry for them. Also, find someone who has a calling to teenagers or at least who can relate with them. Yeah, who, who, who can relate with them, who can secure their confidence and who they will love to, I mean, can have chemistry with them. Uh, in our church in the Greater Toronto area in, in Ontario, in Canada, uh, last year, we were at that point after the church started, you know, around uh, mid last year, around May, June last year. Uh, by the time uh, I was talking to the pastor, I think around October, or when was the last time I visited, uh, the, the, one of the things on the table was that they wanted to have a teen church. One of the things we did was to say, look, who is the person that will lead? And they identified one or two people who showed interest. And I said, organize a hangout with, between the teenagers and this person that showed interest. And let there be somebody who is also observing. Just take them out uh, for meat pie and coke and let the teenagers talk to this person. Let them feel a sense of connection. Let the person then start to cast a vision for them. But what about if we do our own thing every Sunday? Uh, you know, we'll be able to discuss the things that have to do with your life in this space right now. I'll be able to break down the scriptures in a way that will be more applicable to you. You can lead your own worship. You can do this. And you get excited about it. And that's how we, if not, if you pull them out anyhow, you just sit down there, they say, would you come and sit? They are not connected to the person that is teaching them. Uh, after a while, you know, they have their phones, they are fiddling with their phones. It's difficult. Uh, leading teenagers, there's a lot of relationship uh, that is involved and uh, uh, building uh, chemistry, having chemistry with them. So you need uh, to do a, a great deal of work there. Uh, also at Exponential this year, if you have people that you want them to lead teenagers, make sure they come. I think we'll have one or two breakouts on uh, teens ministry and junior church and reaching young people. They should attend such a such breakout and it will be a blessing to them. How do you build a church uh, from the scratch? Okay, uh, I've answered that question. Thank you, Pastor, sir. Uh, for the, this is from Pastor Lumes. I said the opportunity to learn okay, from you. How do you structure to manage the fluctuation of bivocational leaders? Um, Okay, managing the fluctuation of bivocational leaders, you mean people who are working with you who are not full-time. Uh, you need to, uh, uh, one of the critical ways that you structure uh, to accommodate them is that you need to help them to organize themselves and you need to also show that you respect their time and that you, you honor their sacrifice because it's not easy to have a full-time job and still be able to function as a minister. Um, the fact that we have spiritual authority over them will not overrule the fact that they are sacrificing greatly and we need to consistently acknowledge their sacrifice and um, also be mindful of the kind of demand we place on them. Because when the exigencies of work will disallow them from being available, we should be merciful and be temperate in our approach uh, to addressing such issues. Uh, when some of them may not be able to work exactly with the kind of schedule that we want. For instance, if you say, oh, we're having this meeting twice a week, somebody may say, I will only be able to attend one because of my work. You need to still have a large heart enough and understand where they are, not to be able to say, no, anybody that cannot come twice a week cannot be a minister here. No, because you are not in their shoes and you don't know what they're going through. So help them to structure their time, be reasonable in the kind of demand that you place on them, create opportunities for them to develop themselves 
and other things that they can gain for being a part of your team. And above all, pray for them consistently. Uh, you'll see uh, that they, they, they will become more, much more committed. Okay, another question. Thank you, sir. I, I got a revelation to start a fellowship. At what specific point can this metamorphosize to a church service? Um, the, uh, I, I, I think it will be at a point, a lot of it has to do with how the Holy Spirit is leading you. But some of the signals that you will get is uh, like when you have, you're about to deliver a baby. A baby without uh, functional organs. If the baby is battered, the baby can be a stillbirth. So make sure that before you launch fully into a church, certain systems in the body. You know, if you have listened to my church system teachings before, I compared the body of a human being with the body of Christ, which is the church. And it has, the, uh, you know, the respiratory system can breathe. It has a circulatory system, which is the heart. Any child that is born with a heart that is not fully formed cannot survive. You know, any child that is born with a kidney that is not fully formed cannot survive because it, the kidney has to be able to digest things. So the respiratory system, a huge part of it is the is a, is a kidney. So you need to see that, that there are people there who are committed enough to get certain things done. Uh, people will help you focus on this and that, and you need to structure them well, get them to function like that while we're still a fellowship before we layer uh, a higher degree of commitment on them, which is a full church is running. So those are some of the things that you need to look out for. And then also look out for the signal of the, the, the Holy Spirit prompting you to say it's time. Uh, okay, somebody's asking for uh, recommended books for new church launch and uh, personal growth. Um, I will ask that you uh, uh, look for um, a, a, a book. It's called uh, Starting a Purpose Driven Church from Scratch by Ron Sylvia. Ron Sylvia. Starting the Purpose Driven Church from Scratch. Um, uh, I don't know if the book is still in print, but I think you, you may be able to get it on Amazon. Um, also, you can also get Purpose Driven Church uh, by Rick Warren. It's also a good read, and it will help you to gain understanding. You can also get, um, I think it's um, maybe Launch or something. I've forgotten the, 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 but it, the, the book is written by Nelson Siasi. If you just... Um, uh, go on Amazon and look for Nelson Searcy. Nelson Searcy, you can see a book that he wrote about starting a church from scratch. Um, I'm also working on a book that I'm hoping will come out before the, the end of this year on just leading uh, a church, leading a, a Christian organization. Uh, I believe that will also be of tremendous uh, a blessing to you. But I also encourage that you get uh, some of some teachings uh, from me, some of my friends, which we have done on uh, sharing our experiences as to how we started from scratch. There are loads of teachings from my pastor, but some are there me on how they start started from scratch that you can pick up and some of the teachings that I've also done on the same subject matter. Uh, I need to move quickly. We need to wrap up in a couple of minutes. I see that uh, quite a number of questions 
uh, that are there, and but we're wrapping up in less than 10 minutes. In less than 10 minutes, uh, uh, we're wrapping up. So I will just take a few more questions and uh, we'll take it from there another time. Uh, uh, somebody says, is there something wrong with leading a small church without a strong desire for a bigger church? Um, well, um, leading a small church, uh, the, the, the God's plan for us is that whatever we're doing should grow. Now, growth is relative. You don't have to have uh, 100,000, 10,000, and all that. But are we making progress? And are we growing? Are we growing spiritually? And are we growing in number? That's the most, that's the most important thing. Yeah. We have to be growing spiritually. We have to grow in number. Uh, both of them are very important. But that, uh, should it be a very big, massive church? It doesn't have to be every man has his proper calling. Yeah. So, but are we growing? The answer should be yes. And growth is in two phases, spiritually and in terms of numbers. The honor of the king is in his people. Everybody loves something that is growing and that is increasing. Yeah. Uh, so that, I believe that's the will of God for every church. So I tell the person to read 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. Okay. Somebody recommended this also, uh, uh, Buki Angelori. Thank you very much, Sister Buki, for that recommendation. Uh, another book that you can read is 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. It will also help you uh, to be able to jack up. And many other books from, um, from John Maxwell, actually, because that book is from John Maxwell. Uh, you, can, you can read that. Uh, somebody said, is there something wrong? Okay, no, I've answered that question. Uh, thank you for being a big blessing, sir. Uh, what all the, it's what all the time you inspire always. Inka from Kaduna. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you, Pastor. Literally, how do you unlearn some things you have learned? Unlearning things have to do with you being able to actually humble yourself and open your mind. I tell people when I teach on, on learning, when I was learning to play lawn tennis, the coach consistently challenged me. He said, Pastor, the way you are playing, I know you used to play table tennis. And they are not the same. Because the table tennis bat is different from a long tennis racket. And the way you do it, and you just do your backhand like this, in, in table tennis, we play with the wrist. You know, in long tennis, you play with the entire arm, elbow, shoulder. You have to swing. You know? So when, when I was learning to play tennis, I had to tell myself, this is tennis, not table tennis. This is long tennis. So this one, I just hold a ra racket like that. You can even enjoy yourself by holding it the wrong way. But it took me some time. After a few weeks on the long tennis court, before I knew, you know, that you are, you are driving the ball. You are not, you know, you are not just, you know, ping pong. Where you are just... So that's how it works. The same thing. Uh, I had the privilege of learning to play golf two years ago, and I still play golf today. The same thing that the coach was telling me. There's many things you have to unlearn to be able to accommodate these golf skills. And that's where we have a lot of the time. We need to tell ourselves, I mean, a new season. I mean, this is no longer applicable here. You remember the story of Peter that I said, told you about Act chapter 10, Peter, on learning, dealing with things that we are used to, things we have been told. They said, ah, if you want, this is not to be a man. To be a man, you have to be able to take your stand. And insist that certain things are done somehow in marriage. But you know when you get married, that marriage is about compromises. 
compromising with uh, to be able to allow your wife or your husband to have his way or her way does not mean that you are not a sound person. You have to unlearn the voices that we hear in our head that we need to tell ourselves this is contrary to the word of God or contrary to the season where I am and I need to unlearn. Uh, I can go on and on on that, but let's keep it for another day. Sir, my issue is we just uh, started running two services about eight months now, and the members are increasing. Running a third service is not too de uh, demanding. Is it not too demanding for the workers? I am uh, disturbed, sir. Uh, this is from um, Pastor Daniel. Pastor Daniel Roma. Um, well, um, uh, what I'll say to you is that uh, don't be disturbed. Uh, you, the work should not stop just simply because uh, you are over careful about uh, whether your workers will complain. If you are experiencing growth, you need to keep creating room. All you need to do is not to take your workers for granted. Don't just come and say we're starting to service. Prepare their mind. You can spend the next three months or more preparing. It's better to say by June, we'll be starting third service. And then we say, what do we need to put in place? How many uh, units do we have now that need more people? So you do what, what we call here at the Elevation Church, uh, a ministry fair, where you have the opportunity of recruiting more people into the workforce. And then give people the opportunity of saying, you don't have to serve in the workforce every Sunday or all through the three services. So they see that the load that's coming on them will not be overbearing. So if somebody is doing one or two services now, serving, maybe attend one service, serving the other one, when we go into three services, the status quo still remains for them because we have increased the number of people in the workforce. But it may take us another two to three months to get those people onboarded, get them interested in the workforce and onboard them and train them. When that is uh, done, you now say, okay, how many people are in the choir? How many people do we need in ushering to be able to do three services? Let's go through that process. When all that is done, there's less pressure on the people. Some of them may even do less than they're doing now because there are more people to serve. So you need to look into that 800 congregation and ask yourself the question, how many of them are enlisted in our workforce? How many of them are volunteering in this church? Don't forget that I said uh, resource and structure. It's very important if you want to stay on the growth path. What structure will under guard or three services? Yeah. Every unit may have a roster of two groups of people who serve. So ushering group one, ushering group two. Ushering group one may serve just first and second service. And ushering group three, they will have attended third service and serving, I mean, in third service. Attended second service and serving third service. That's ushering group two. And the new month, they turn it around again. So we need to be able to say, how many people do we need to usher very well in this church? Let's say we need 20 for, per service. That means minimum, we must have a team of 40 people and we bring them into two groups. But it will take us time to recruit all the 40. So we take that time and have that ministry fair, talk to people about joining the workforce and then prepare the workforce about the third service and then break the news to the church about it is when we spring surprises on people, they feel that leadership is not mindful of their time and of them and uh, it can create uh, more, more problem, all right? Um, okay, so we're, 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 we're trying to wrap up now. Somebody says, sir, what, what's the best, oh, that question is running, what's the best way to structure workers training if the church premise use is on rental? 
okay, we, we, you can structure it in such a way that you get another place. It may be somebody's home. It may be another place that you are renting. Oh, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Our latest uh, expression is our Ikorodu Center in the Ikorodu town in Lagos here, in the suburbs of Lagos. Um, currently now, that church is just started in, is it November, October now? Yeah, I think October. Yeah. So they're in their third month or so right now, uh, third to fourth month. This, this January that they're starting their training system for workers. On Saturday, they got a different place apart from the venue that we're using right now, which is which we're renting, where workers meet for the classes. We had to uh, look for money and pay for that separately uh, per use for that purpose. Uh, in some other cases, you can get somebody, a, a church member that has a compound uh, and they're willing to volunteer for people to come there for the trainings. And you can segment the training per unit also. It's just like it's going to take more facilitators and people can have it in homes whatever works for you, but you need to uh, do it anyhow. Um, so how do you balance uh, copying others and stretching to emulate something you feel is worthwhile? Okay, uh, Pastor Ernest, that's a very fantastic question. Uh, uh, emulating something that is worthwhile, you know, I said is a, a copying is a case of if your bullet fits my gun, I shoot it. Yeah. All I'm saying is make sure that you copy not out of alignment, as in your area of strength. There are principles that we all need to copy and emulate. But method, you have to be careful about method. When we're discussing that, we're talking about method. Uh, principles, fact, when you see people obeying principles and it's working for them, principles will work for everybody. But not every method will work for everybody. So it's in the area of method that you need to be careful. Um, somebody said, how can we get a message on assimilation? Uh, please uh, DM TechResource at TechResource on Twitter or send an email to resources at elevationng.org. You should be able to get uh, some of my messages on assimilation. Uh, uh, somebody said, uh, okay, Pastor Abraham, my question is, how do you implement these things in a branch church when the head church uh, does not believe in systems? You can, God can use you to model it to the head church. Uh, some, some of the things that, uh, just make sure that it's in the best interest of the church. At the end of the day, the head church can come and see what is happening, what is working for you. Uh, and there, I don't believe there's a, if we're talking about assimilation system right now, I don't believe there's any head church that will say, you must not get the contact of people who visit your church for the first time and follow them up and uh, get them uh, uh, to want to show interest in joining your church and also teach them one or two things about your church and create some outlines where you can teach them and train them. They have not done anything wrong and that is contrary to the tenets of Christianity. So if it's not happening in the head church, you can model it from the branch and eventually you are the one that will go there to then go and teach them and encourage them to do it. Um, okay. Um, Somebody says, how often will the broadcast take place? Last year, I think we did this, but then we didn't throw it open. The people who are my mentoring um, uh, database, we did this like every quarter or so, every quarter. And I'm still going to stick to that this year. So this is end of January. Today's last day of January. We're having this uh, sometimes maybe um, sometimes mid-March, towards the end of March, we're going to have another one. Uh, so 
is this uh or okay 20th of march tentatively the date is 20th of march tentatively we're going to uh, have another one tentatively uh my schedule should be able to carry that so we may be able to hold uh forth to that and then uh subsequently it will then also be quarterly uh where we'll have this now i've started to throw it open so that many more people can join us uh i think today we'll have we've had over 100 people being uh at the webinar today uh, and i appreciate everyone who has been online uh let me take this one last question so thank you sir for uh, the teaching. My question is: uh, As a new, a new established church of five years, how can you manage lack of growth after you've done all you know that can help you grow? Still, you are still less than forty people, forty members. Um, Pastor, I will say that you shouldn't be discouraged. What you should think about is. Um, what are the critical things that may be limiting the growth of our church? Have we been having membership transitions or leadership transitions? Have we had any uh, breakaway? Uh, is it, are we uh, focused, excuse me, on the right thing? Um, are we where God wants us to be as per location, which is very important? Um, are we teaching the right thing? Uh, are we developing leaders? Because if our people are not taking responsibility, uh, growth may not come. So uh, I will encourage that you um, uh, um, pick, also send for my messages on breaking growth barriers and listen to them over and again. You will get a few things that can help you uh, have a rethink on what is happening there and reposition for growth. Uh, lastly today, I said that the people who uh, stayed to the end, uh, uh, I will uh, make an announcement that may be useful to you. Uh, thank you for staying with me for the last uh, 90 minutes. We'll, I thought we would do 75 minutes, but we've done 90 minutes, which is one and a half hours. And um, it's on this note that I will have to just pray and bring this to a close. I'm asking for all of us to please join me at the Exponential Conference if you are yet to register, today is the last day. Now, the announcement I wanted to make was that um, if you are yet to register or you know someone who is yet to register, by tomorrow, Exponential, uh, the, the, the cost of attending, uh, registration will move to 15,000. But as of today, it's 10,000. For everyone who attended the webinar who is yet to register, I'm freezing it for you. For 72 hours between now and 8 p.m. on Monday. Between now and 8 p.m. on Monday, you will still be able to register for 10,000 naira. Yeah. From tomorrow, uh, people who don't have the promo code that I'm giving you right now will only be able to register for 15,000. So thank you for staying till the end. And um, uh, the, 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 do we have the promo code? Yeah. Okay, so um, please send an email to info at elevationng.org. Sorry, info at exponentialng.org. The, the code will be mailed to you. Yeah, uh, I want it to only go to people who need it. So if you, if you need it or you just want to, I, I will ask that even if you have registered, but you just want to register, you can register just one more person. 
one more associate or one more friend with this with the promo code i beg of you uh to use it only for that purpose you can't use it more than once anyway and uh, uh, that's a way we track uh, the email with which you are going to do it must be an email that is one of the ones that has registered for this webinar. Yeah. So uh, our IT system is able to track. Uh, so even if you're going to register for someone, use your email and you can only use it once. Yeah. So send an email to info at exponentialng.org. You will get a promo code. You can use that promo code. The person still has a latitude of registering tomorrow, Sunday, and Monday. Uh, by 8 p.m. on Monday, uh, the promo code will be invalid, and you can really register uh, with 15,000 Naira. So please spread, spread the word. Uh, if you have friends who are here to register and who didn't come for the webinar, tell them to register. If they register tonight, it's 10,000. If they register after now, it's 15,000. If you have anybody that is from the an under-resourced area of this nation or any nation in Africa. By under-resourced, I mean uh, people in the interlands, in northern Nigeria, eastern Nigeria, but in the interlands, pastoring local churches, um, and they need help to be able to attend exponential conference, uh, whether they cannot afford registration or anything like that. Please send us an email, introduce them with the email, we will get in touch with them. There's a form we would like them to fill to get their details and to know the station around them. And we will pre-qualify them for a scholarship for the, uh, for the Exponential Conference. We still have a few more scholarships uh, with which we can get uh, to register some of those pastors for free and uh, perhaps also help with their accommodation needs when they come. But it's strictly uh, by recommendation and we will still do our due diligence on them before we give that scholarship. So if you know any of such people, please send us also an email, uh, info at exponentialng.org. State the name of the pastor, the city, the name of the church, their address, and put their phone number or email there so that we can get in touch with them, send them the form that they will fill, and we pre-qualify them within, the, within this coming week. We will pre-qualify them, and as many as qualify, we will give them the scholarship. Uh, we have partners within our church who are helping us to sponsor pastors who cannot afford it. Uh, we are focused on, uh, you know, northern Nigeria more, but we are willing to take people from other uh, five, I mean, or six geopolitical zones that we have in Nigeria. Uh, but it's like I said, it's based on recommendation. That's why we have not thrown this open in the media. Uh, so please help us uh, to help pastors who need uh, to be a part of Exponential this year and uh, gain knowledge and wisdom and grace that will move the church to the next level. Uh, again, as you all know, my name is Godman Akilabi. My mission is to empower churches and church leaders uh, for the end time harvest. And that's why we put the exponential conference together. That's why I go around training pastors from city to city and from nation to nation. And I'm trusting God to increase grace upon me this year to be able to do more. And I'm also be here quarterly uh, to mentor, to train, to answer questions and to teach. Thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, I pray the blessing of God over you and your family, over you and your ministry. I decree in the name of Jesus, growth barriers are removed in this year, 2020. Grace comes upon you and upon your ministry for progress, for growth, for increase in the name of Jesus. God, we amplify your voice and every limiting factor 
every power of darkness seeking to limit the expression of any ministry. We cancel and terminate it in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, and we decree that the blood of Jesus speaks grace and mercy over your life, over your ministry, over your family. Enjoy the peace of God. Enjoy divine provision. Uh, the hold of depression is broken. The hold of discouragement is broken. And I receive for you the garment of praise over the spirit of heaviness. We decree that the hold of the spirit of heaviness is broken over your life. This year, you will enjoy divine inspiration, fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, and everything that God has placed in your hand, from family to business to ministry to career, will prosper like never before in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. Have a blessed night and see you at Exponential Conference, February 24th to 26th. God bless you.